Join the Temple Emmanuel clergy every week for Talmud class, where Wes, Michelle, Elias, Eliza, and Dan discuss and debate a variety of Jewish issues and make connections between our sacred texts and the realities of our lives. Watch our live stream at 8.30 on Saturday mornings, or listen to the podcast at your convenience, all at templeemmanuel.com. Imagine one fine day, you are running an errand in the city where you live, you're in Newton or Brookline or Weston or Wayland or Cambridge or Somerville, you're in your home city, and you go to the CVS or the Walgreens or the post office, supermarket, and you see somebody that you haven't seen in a while, and they ask you the question that humans ask one another. They say, oh, it's so nice to see you. How are you? How are you? The basic human question, how are you, question mark. Now, most of us would answer that question something like, doing well, doing great, doing really good, doing eh, hanging in there, so-so, how are you? One of those. But if you ever ran into Barry Schrage, the former longtime head of CJP, and you asked Barry, Barry, how are you? Barry answered in a way that is utterly unique. In my 60 years on planet Earth, I have never heard anyone else answer the way Barry Schrage answered the question, how are you? Barry's answer was always, never better. Never better. Now, that's just such a great answer. Never better. First of all, it's distinctive. He has a patent on it. <laughs> it's short. It rhymes. Never better. And it radiates total positivity. Radiates optimism. Radiates hopefulness. Love, never better. There's only one question. Does it ring true? How do you say and mean never better in the actual world that we live in? How do you say and mean never better given all the horrible news that we all read every day, Buffalo, etc., etc., that you certainly do not need me to remind you of. I guess here's the question. If you actually live in the world, if you are of this world, if you are with this world, the way it actually is with all those horrible headlines, is it possible to be an optimist? And is it possible for that optimism to be legitimate and authentic and compelling? Now, it's not obvious or intuitive that the answer to that question is yes. It feels like there's a couple of choices. We could live in the world as it is, and since the world as it is is depressing, we could become depressed. That's not a great option. Or we could ignore the world as it is and watch the NBA playoffs, the Celtics and the Heat, in which case we skirt the depression perhaps, but we're not dealing with the world as it is. Is there a way to deal with the world as it is 
and still say and mean never better. So I've been reading this great book by Daniel Matt called Becoming Elijah. And he talks about a line that I have said all my life. I've said it a thousand times. If any of you went to Jewish summer camps or you went to schools where you used to bench, Birkat Hamazon, or you're in communities where people bench, they sing the grace after meals, any one of you who has done that have said these words a thousand times. And perhaps like me, you've said them without ever even thinking about what it means. But Daniel Matt explained these words in a way that landed for the first time. That what we say, it's at the end of Birkat Hamazon, we say, Horachaman, hu yishlach lanu, et Eliyahu hanavi, zachor latov. May God, the merciful one, send us the prophet Elijah, who's remembered for good. Then it says, vivaser lanu, besorot tovot, yeshuot v'nechamot. And may Elijah come and give us good tidings of salvation and of consolation. Elijah is the good tidings guy. And at the end of Grace After Meals, we pray that Elijah is going to come and give us good news. Now, what's so surprising about this is Elijah lives in the rabbinic imagination in a time that's at least as dark and challenging as our time. He lives in the year 70, after the destruction of the temple. And he lives after the people are exiled. And when you read these stories, there's poverty, hunger, mental illness, and suicidal ideation. None of that is new to our time. All of that is in the Talmud. All of that is in the year 70. All of that is when Elijah lived. So how does a guy who lives in this dreary landscape come to be the good tidings guy, vivaser lanu besoro tavot yeshua How do we go from his dreary landscape to hope? So this is Daniel Matt's answer, and I just love it. He says that Elijah's move is he's a transition guy. He sees things that are evolving, and Therefore, he comes to us in moments of transition. The Seder is a transition from slavery to freedom. Saturday night after Shabbat at Havdalah, from Sabbath to regular time. A Brit Milah, somebody new is joining the covenant. And Elijah's move is to say, okay, 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 I get it. It's been cold out, but it's getting warmer. And it's been dark out, but it's been getting lighter. And there's brokenness in the world, but healing is happening. And what Elijah does is he acknowledges the challenge, and then he sees a future that is going to be better and healthier, and we can work towards it. So I want to tell you about one person who embodied this and just has so much to teach us. His brand of Judaism is not my brand of Judaism, but I think there can be no doubt that he's the single most successful and impactful rabbi of modern times. And he got that way by living out Elijah's move. And that is Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe, the most successful rabbi. And his move is the Elijah move. I know it's cold out, but it's getting warmer. So here's the deal with the Rebbe. 
And the question I want to ask you is, can you do this? Can we do this? How do we do this? Here's the deal. He's born in Ukraine. You've heard of that. 1902. And so he grows up, tremendous anti-Semitism, Cossacks, pogroms, massacres, and Chabad rabbis getting jailed for no good reason. That's his childhood. And you know this because if you know anything about Chabad, their holidays are all about rabbis who are in jail getting out of jail. Okay? That was, that's, that's his childhood. And then, that's just his childhood. He's born in 1902 in Eastern Europe. So now, the Holocaust happens. His brother dies in the Holocaust, his sister, his brother-in-law, his grandmother, a ton of cousins, not to mention most of Chabad, not to mention the six million. So he knows personally, he loses all this family. And he comes to this country after the Holocaust. And here's what he does to, to challenge, uh, to, to channel Elijah. And I just love this. And Joseph Telushkin writes a whole book about this. He talks about the importance of using positive language and the importance of not using negative language. Let me pause here. Here's his point. If you use negative language, negative language creates negative energy. Negative energy creates negative results in the field. If you use positive language, that creates positive energy. That creates positive impact in the world. How we speak leads to how we act, leads to the impact that we have. And so one of the most important principles of the Rebbe is do not say what so many of us feel. Do not say what so many of us feel. Do not say, oh my God, this world is just so messed up. Do not say, oh my God, I can't believe. Oh my, whoa, no, whoa. No, whoa. And he's insistent on this. So I'll give you several examples that are just amazing. And remember, the single most successful Jew in modern times is this guy with this philosophy about positive language. He won't call a, a, a hospital Beit Cholim, a house of the sick. He calls it Beit Refuah, the house of healing. He won't use the word evil in English or Hebrew, ra, even if something is evil. He won't call the mass shootings evil. What he'll call them is hefech hatov, the very opposite of good. He won't use the word deadline. You can't say what's the deadline for that application because the word deadline has the word dead in it, so instead he uses the word due date. What's the due date for that application? To connote life, not death, and importantly, for somebody who suffered so much and had so many personal losses from the Shoah, he did not teach about the Shoah. A core value of Chabad, according to the Telushkin book on the Rebbe, is it's the one, one part of modern Judaism that does not make it simus about the Shoah. Instead, he always wants to talk about simcha shal mitzvah, the joy of doing a mitzvah. So here he comes, and just roll the film forward. What's the impact? He's lost all these, like Chabad's decimated in the Shoah. 
He loses all his family in the Shoah. And what happens with his positive language leads to positive energy, leads to positive impact? He dreams up of a world starting with the 50s. And he says, why don't we have a world where there are thriving Jewish communities everywhere? You go to Thailand for spring break, great Seder. You want to go to Cambodia, but you're saying, Kaddish, there's a shul. You're in India, and it's Shabbos, and you want a Shabbos dinner. Let's have this vision. Life is amazing, beautiful. What a gift. Jewish communities everywhere. And that positive energy made it so. Speak positive have positive energy, positive impact, and make it so. Now, we're not Elijah, and we're not the Rebbe, but we have something really important in common with both figures, which is to say never better, well, it's never better. That's not obvious. That's a stretch. To feel positive energy, is not intuitive, it's not organic, it's not easy. It takes work. But what we have in common with them is we could actually do our own version of what they do. So I want to leave you with a story, and I want to leave you with a question. The question I want to leave you with is, how do you do your own version of the Shirley Chisholm story? How do you do your own version of the Shirley Chisholm story? So here's the Shirley Chisholm story. Shirley Chisholm was the first black woman elected to Congress in 1968 from Brooklyn, New York. And she had wanted, you know, it's all apparently about what committee to get assigned to. She wanted to get assigned to a committee that deals with labor or with education. And she's a black woman. She doesn't have colleagues. There's no Protexia, and as the story goes, and Telushkin brings it in his book on the Rebbe, Southern congressmen didn't give her labor or education, they put her on the Agriculture Committee. And it was, it was intended as a diss, like the last thing she cares about, agriculture. And it was received as a diss, agriculture. And the newspapers in Brooklyn after it had headlines, does a tree grow in Brooklyn? Does a tree grow in Brooklyn? Why is Shirley Chisholm getting agriculture? And in the press reports, she shares that she's really angry about it. So the Rebbe calls up Shirley Chisholm and invites her to see him at 770 Ocean Parkway in Crown Heights. And she comes and she says, this was a diss. They intended it as a diss. What do I know from agriculture? I want to work on labor. I want to work on education. What should I do? And the Rebbe asks her, is it possible? Is it possible to reframe? Is it possible? Is it possible to see that what seems like a challenge and a diss is a gift from God? And she says, 
I'm listening. <laughs> How so? He says, Congresswoman Chisholm, think about it. There are millions of hungry children in our country. There are millions of hungry families in our country. And the farmers in the Midwest, they're producing so much food that they're losing money. You have a problem of surplus food, and you have a problem of hunger. And now God has put you where you are right now. Can you figure out how to get the surplus food into the kitchens and homes of hungry Americans? Shortly after that conversation, a new senator is elected in the state of Kansas named Bob Dole. And Bob Dole calls Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm and he says, you know, I come from Kansas and a lot of my constituents are farmers. And a lot of farmers in the Midwest, they're producing so much food, prices are collapsing, they're losing money. And Bob Dole and Shirley Chisholm work together, they partner, they come up with programs that take all that surplus food and give it to the homes of hungry Americans. As a result of her appointment, hungry Americans now have food. And she's interviewed by those same papers in Brooklyn that had said, does a tree grow in Brooklyn? And they said, how do you reflect on this? And she said, I learned something. I went to an optimistic rabbi. And the optimistic rabbi said to me that sometimes what seems to be an impossible challenge is actually a gift from God if only we can reframe. And then she says, and I quote, if poor babies now have milk, and if poor families now have food, that's only because a rabbi in Crown Heights had vision. So here's my question for you. How do you do your own version of that? Next time somebody says to you, how are you? And you're not feeling it. Can you still say, never better? And then go out and make it so. Shabbat Shalom.